On one hand, today's story is simple. It's an alleged Ponzi scheme that was foiled after it took in millions from investors. But it's a lot more complicated than that. And that's what happens when the alleged criminal and most of the victims and the people investigating all of them are all police officers. See, this is a story about a mythical computer investment program, a story about sweet-talking people out of their money, and about how it all came crashing down. It is also, though, a story that offers us a look inside a secretive profession, at least when it comes to investigating their own. And it could even help set a precedent for how quickly police information from investigations is revealed, first to journalists and then to the public. This is the story of the Miami Group. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Kevin Donovan is the Toronto Star's chief investigative reporter, and he joins us to discuss his exclusive star investigation. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Why don't you just uh, start us off by telling me who is Larry Renton? Uh, Larry Renton is a, a retired member of the Ontario Provincial Police. He retired in 2016 with the rank of detective sergeant. He ran the street crime unit in southwestern Ontario based out of the Simcoe uh, a detachment. And uh, he was a person who, towards the end of his uh, policing career, was quite interested in the stock market. And he started uh, doing uh, trades. Uh, and then he came up with a scheme that he styled as the Miami Group. And uh, that's what's gotten uh, him into hot water and, and uh, some investors into uh, an equal amount of hot water. We're going to get all the way into that in just a second. But how did you manage to find this story to start with? It uh, came to me from uh, from a source, somebody that I know from another story that I've been working on for a number of years. And uh, that source said, you might want to look into uh, allegations involving a, a, a former detective of the OPP. I didn't have much more to go on than that. Uh, I knew it was an investment scheme and uh, I didn't even have uh, Larry Renton's name. But uh I just did a lot of cold calling, as we often do in the media, uh, in the area where Larry Renton lived and worked. And eventually I got somebody, uh, this would be, I guess, uh, May of last uh, year, May of 2020, uh, got somebody who was able to uh, provide me uh, the first few details. And, and then it was uh, uh, a bit of, a, of an avalanche of information once, uh, once I uncorked that bottle, as it were. You do a lot of investigations. Um, what's different about this one where everyone involved from uh, the alleged mastermind to the victims to the people investigating are all police officers? Well, police officers uh, are sworn to uphold the law. We expect them to be astute enough to uh, not be invited into a, uh, a scheme that, that could be uh, an illegal scheme. 
Uh, and of course, nothing's proven in, in court yet, but uh, that's what the police are investigating now. And and so the police officers that I was reaching out to that were involved were by and large, very nervous that they didn't want to uh, uh, get in trouble with their superiors, and uh, and they're you know more wary of, of the media. But at the end of the day, I certainly got some uh, uh, people to uh, to speak uh, you know on the record and and uh, on background. Maybe it's best if we just kind of start with you describing uh, what the Miami Group is and how uh, this alleged scheme works. Yeah, it, and it's uh, it's interesting because the the word Ponzi scheme uh, was used uh, when I first started looking into it, and and yeah. Carlo Ponzi has a bit of background. A uh, uh, hundred years ago, in in 1920, in Boston, was a, a business person who uh, uh, is the, was the first Ponzi scheme. Uh, uh, it was named after him, and a Ponzi scheme is uh, simply where you have a situation where it's not an actual investment. So you're not investing in markets. You are telling people you're investing in markets. What's really happening is person uh, A, B, and C contribute uh, a certain amount of money. And then they are encouraged to bring in new people and the new investors come in and it's the new people who are with their investments actually being used to pay a monthly payment to uh, the first investors in my example, A, B, and C. And the scheme works very well until you run out of new investors. And so what the Miami group uh, was telling all these investors, uh, and I've got all sorts of email and now search warrant documents, uh, emails from Larry Renton and search warrant documents from the police investigators that confirm all this. What Larry Renton was saying was that he was trading. He was, uh, had figured out a way through an algorithm and something he called a robot trader that he had built. Uh, and this is a person who has no investment experience, by the way, but he's, he was telling people that he had built this robot trader that had figured out that at a 15 minute cycle in the markets, you could make a profit. And we don't need to go f- too far down that road uh, to understand that that is something that is completely ridiculous. However, the people he was telling this about believed him. And one of the reasons they believed him is because uh, he was a former police officer, very well respected. His uh, family, he has two brothers who were senior OPP officers. He has a son who's a a cop. And, uh, And so people trusted him. And the people that came in in the early part of the investment were getting their promised payments of 25% a month of their investment. And so it spread a bit like wildfire where people were saying, yeah, this worked really well for me. Why don't you invest? Now, the carrot for for the existing investors was that if they could bring somebody else in, they would get a finder's fee of, let's say, 5%. And uh, it just kept going and going until uh, the pandemic and people's natural concern about investing any money uh, starting last March, March of 2020, uh, interceded. And that's when the whole scheme uh, unraveled. Do we know how big it got? How many uh, alleged victims, how much money we're talking about in total? When I first started looking into this, what I was hearing from sources that it was upwards of $50 million. I don't think it was that large. I, I do know that in the police documents that I've obtained, they so far 
have knowledge of about five million dollars that uh, is that was invested in is most of it I think probably missing. Uh, I think it's more than that. What the police have said in in these documents that I've obtained, the stars obtained through our court challenge, is that there's a lot of investors out there that have not come forward. Just to give a sense of the size of the investments, and these are all you know police officers and some civilians. Uh, the biggest one that I have seen was a million dollars that was given to Larry Renton to manage, and the rest of them are in the area of three hundred thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. So, quite a bit of money. And the the, the difficult part for these the people that did invest, uh, often probably not without without telling their spouse is that they would have mortgaged uh, houses dipped into life savings. And so, uh, and they're likely not to get that money back. Do we know what Renton uh, was doing with the money? Was he actually investing it? Um, was he just stockpiling it? Like, what do we know? What I believe from my investigation is that, I mean, he was using some of the money allegedly for his own purposes. Uh, he has four boats. One of them is a 40-foot yacht. I don't think any of his holdings are at the top end. Uh, he'd like to go uh, with his wife uh, on cruises and uh, like to treat his family members to cruises, things like that. Uh, but his house, according to the people who have been there, uh, modest house uh, in Simcoe, uh, it's not a, uh, it's not ostentatious. Uh, you know, he's got a couple of cars, but they're not uh, you know, brand new cars. And what I think, he was doing was not so much stockpiling the money, but when he would he would bring in money from the new investors, he would take part of that and pay off his existing investors. Uh, I think he did plan when he got into it to try and do some trading. He's not a licensed trader, so legally he can't trade. Uh, and what he always told people, and this is in his emails to all his investors, he'll he said to them. I'm not allowed to trade for you, so we're going to call this a loan. You are loaning me money, and I will be giving you money back every month. Uh, but I'm not trading for you. Hmm. Now, in his uh, in his house, he had this uh, what he called his robo trading room, and uh, there's a picture of it. You can see at the Star.com website. There's he's got a, a big desk, and he's got eleven computer monitors around it, and two tiers and the the photograph that he he took and he sent this out to people to try and impress them because that's a big part of this scheme he's got to impress them mm-hmm. uh it's just a whole bunch of of images of uh of financial markets so he's tuned his his each different monitor to a different uh uh, website that would show money markets and and then i think in the corner he has a photo of uh, one of the monitor shows uh, CNN. <laughs> but And he sent this to people and people started talking about this. Yeah, he's got this great system for making money. And uh, and he would offer people, if you gave $30,000 as your investment, you would get 16% return, which is, I'm sure we all know, all your listeners know is pretty good. If you gave 100000 or more, you could get 25%. Which, I'm again, I'm not an investor, but 
that's ludicrous, right? From playing the stock market. Yeah. And I think it, to put it in context, I think last year, the, 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 the return that, uh, the markets were performing at, and obviously it was a pandemic year was, uh, you know, really good investments would be at around five to 6%. So, so this is, this is much more than, than one could normally get. And that people who look at this, for example, the people in, who are licensed to actually do these sort of trades, they look at this thing and they say, this is ridiculous. Anybody should know you can't get that. And it wasn't that Larry Renson was saying you might get this. He was guaranteeing that to people. And so if you're a cop making $120,000 a year, uh, you know, you're a sergeant with the OPP and you have that opportunity to make that sort of money, it, it is attractive. I would just argue that a cop should know better. So how did this all come to light and and what happened when uh, victims started finding out? Well, at the end of uh, 2019, uh, Larry Renson was sending emails to people. And in 2019, if we all remember that far back, is is before we had knowledge of, of the pandemic. It was already spreading, of course, but, but we didn't know that it was it spreading. It feels like five years ago. Exactly. And so at the end of 2019, he starts sending emails to people saying, um, there's some issues with the with the fund. Um, if you want to do a quick investment, I've got a basket of stocks. It will call it. He said the Christmas basket of stocks. Uh, but by January and February, he's sending emails to people saying we're going to have to just hold off for a month uh, to give you your next uh, payment. And so the people generally agreed with that. By the time April came, he was saying, we have to hold off a little bit longer because of, uh, you know, this being a catastrophic time in the markets. He did say that long term, this will be great because uh, there's a real uh, a benefit uh, in the markets uh, of the coronavirus. And, and he would say it just like that, with no backup, uh, no, no financial analysis. And then what happened in, uh, in May of 2020 uh, is the, all the new funds dried up. And so people then started asking questions. I mean, it's been two or three months, Larry, where's our money? And then he, on a Friday evening, just disappears. And he goes to uh, Brantford. Uh, Simcoe, by the way, is this is Simcoe that is basically halfway in between uh, Toronto and, and London, Ontario, but just a little bit south and close to uh, closer down to, uh, to Lake Erie. And he goes to Brantford and he goes to a hotel. He leaves his phone on uh, and uh, he sends out a video, which I've not seen, but I understand he, he says he's going to take his own life. And his quote is, I'm financially ruined. He leaves his phone on. And by this time, his wife's getting nervous. Investors are showing up on the door uh, of his house and saying, where's my money? One person says to the wife, could you could Larry sign over his 40 foot yacht to me as as repayment she's in a in an understandable tizzy she says she didn't know anything about this please track him to this Brantford hotel and uh and take him to a hospital uh he's he's i i don't know what he actually did but he he survives uh, he's under observation for a couple of weeks and then he's allowed to go home he's not being charged the police are investigating but as the police start getting involved uh, I, I'm hearing about this and I'm starting to ask questions of, of the OPP and they will not confirm anything. 
And uh, I actually had to go, I wrote a letter to the commissioner of the OPP and said, I'm going to do a story on this. Your force uh, is going to look like it's covering it up. And uh, and then within a couple of weeks of this uh, incident where he goes to the hotel room in Brantford, I get some information back from the OPP where they confirm it. They won't give me his name. I already know his name. And, uh, and that's when I did the first story. So how did it spiral from there? And uh, what's the investigation on the police side been like? I mean, I know... Uh We've had a lot of conversations on this podcast and, and elsewhere about uh, the struggles that happen when police investigate their own. Yeah, that's and that's my concern in this this case is that the police will say that they're looking into it and nothing will ever happen. And so what I did on behalf of the Star, very similar to what I've done in the, the Sherman murder investigation, is I went to court. And I knew that there would be search warrants, and I knew that search warrants would detail what, if anything, the police were doing. And uh, I'll fast forward quite a few months to a hearing that I had uh, in front of a London judge uh, in December of 2020, uh, where after making arguments on behalf of the Toronto Star, uh, she agreed. Uh, and it's very present setting that she did this. It's not a, it's not very usual for judges to to so quickly open up search warrants to uh, the public, but she did. And, uh, and so that's where my most recent story uh, came from. That the thing that I learned from that is that yes, the police are investigating, but they're still insisting on sheltering from the public exactly which police officers invested. And, and what I've heard is that there were actually some pretty senior officers. I know there are inv- officers involved, but I don't have their names. And I'd be, I'm really curious and we'll be going back to court in the next month to try and shed some light on that. When you say that decision is precedent setting, can you give me an example of, of where else it could be used and uh, how this might help uh, all investigative reporters in the future? Uh, yeah. So when I began my hunt for the, the Sherman uh, search warrant documents, that started three years ago, and it was only in uh, November of last year that uh, finally, uh, the judge uh, agreed to unseal uh, some of the early search warrants, which led to to us getting much better sense of what happened in that case. In, in but that was after three years. In this case, this is a different case than Sherman's in that there was a understanding by the public that there was a suspect in this case that Larry Renton, though not charged with anything, was the suspect. So his name was already out there. It was already out there because I'd, I'd written about him as uh, as somebody they were investigating. And what Justice Harris Bentley did uh, in the London court is, uh, I think quite rightly, looked at all these search warrant documents. And just for your listeners, the, a search warrant document has... Uh, it's the one page that you see on TV where the police officer says we're searching your house and gives that document to a person. But there's really nothing on that except for your address, if I'm using that as an example. But behind a search warrant are, in this case, hundreds and hundreds of pages where it details the police investigation, uh, interviews with witnesses, things that they found out, uh, directions that they're going. And Justice Harris Bentley 
looked at that and in her wisdom uh, ruled uh, that uh, there was very little in this that should be shielded from the public and that the public had a right to know and the public had a right to scrutinize what the police were doing. And I, I think that was great. How that can be used uh, is that it can be used by the media and the public uh, to uh, get access to other sealed court documents. Uh, I mean, it, even now as we're, we're talking, there's people who are uh, police officers who are serving search warrants for all sorts of things uh, around the, the province. And, and so we now have this extra tool where we can, we can go to a court and say, we think we should see this. The Supreme Court of Canada has long said that the public should be able to see search warrant documents after they're executed. But when it comes down to the lower courts, it's very unusual to have this this ruling. And, and so uh, I'm looking forward to using it in, in more cases. And what's next for Renton uh, and the investigation? Are, are we simply waiting to see if there will be charges? Um, you know, are you in touch with what they're actually looking at right now? My most recent information would be uh, the most recent warrant that was unsealed in December, and that's from October 6th. Uh, I'm sure there's more warrants that are, are being contemplated, and, and so I'll uh, I liaise with the Crown Attorney and we'll try and find out what's happening uh, with those, and we'll go to court to try and have uh, Justice Bentley, Harris Bentley's order from last December used for future warrants. Um, I've tried to speak uh, every time I do a story to uh, to Mr. Renton, and he said that on the advice of his counsel, he's uh, uh, he's not allowed to, to speak. Uh, there is a class action lawsuit that is being uh, considered by, uh, there's a lawyer who's trying to get people to sign on to that. I, I expect that uh, that will be difficult to recover money because I really think that a lot of the money that was allegedly taken improperly has gone to has been spread out amongst so many people that it would be very difficult to get it back and and a very high profile ponzi scheme in the united states was the bernie madoff one that which was a ponzi scheme there was actually no investment and uh i mean i think billions of dollars are involved there and and that's uh i mean there are teams of lawyers to this day trying to trace those uh different than larry renton I think Bernie Madoff had a much higher level of lifestyle. And one of the first things that I do on these is I try and see if, you know, is there a big house? Is there a cottage? Didn't find that with uh, with Mr. Renton. Kevin, thank you so much for taking us through this and uh, let us know if we hear any movement on this case. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Kevin Donovan is the chief investigative reporter at the Toronto Star. And that was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Talk to us online at thebigstoryfpn. You can email us anytime, thebigstorypodcast at rci.rogers.com. By the way, when you send us an email, you are literally sending it to the inboxes of myself and Claire and Steph and the whole team. We read every one. We also read all the reviews you leave for us. We even pass them around and trade them like baseball cards, except... For the bad ones, those we make fun of. But if you want to leave a bad one, that's okay. We are in every major podcast player that is Apple and Google and Stitcher and Spotify. Pick one, write that review, have fun. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.